Hello, everybody, and welcome to Toddler Purgatory. I'm Molly. And I'm Blair. Welcome, welcome. And today we are talking about, oh, such a fun thing, just super smooth transitions for kids. Always. They're always so smooth. And that's they're what we're so smooth talk about it. Because it's just it's so, so easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the name of this episode is literally Transitions and Why They Are Hard. Ugh. It's just, and just for, you know, who anyone who's wondering, although I'm sure none of you are, transitions are when you've got to move a kid from something fun or that they're absorbed in to something that might be less interesting or fun, but they don't care because they don't want to move off of that first thing. They don't. They want to do it. Well, at first, we mentioned doing this. I was like, oh, transitions, like from breast to bottle. Like, I didn't want to do that. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, that is a tough transition, too. That's a tough transition. Some of these transitions, like, you don't want to do either. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you say that, though, because transitions do take two people, I guess is what I want to say. Like, transitions, they are hard, hard, hard. But there's, it takes two to tango, that we're not asking kids to transition in a vacuum. We are there to hopefully help and not hinder the process. I mean, sometimes I hinder it. I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not gonna lie. So, well, you're human. I'm human. It's two humans. Yeah, true, true, yes. true, true. I read this article on PBS Kids. Claire Lerner is a child development specialist. And she said, there's a bunch of reasons why transitions are hard for kids. And there are a lot of stuff that we've talked about on this pod before. One of them, of course, is young children want to assert some control over their world. Control. Control. It's always about control. (laughs) So whenever there is demand to follow someone else's agenda, such as yours, there's a natural tendency to defy it. You know what? I have that natural tendency, too. I do, too. I do, too. Don't tell me what to do. Don't do it. My husband will be like... And it's both of you. Like the transition with kids yeah. and me, it's like both of us head to head. Well, the funny thing is you say it's a head to head battle. Claire Lerner, the child development specialist I just mentioned, is the author of Why Is My Child in Charge? <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I can't wait to read it. I'm like, yes, that is so mm-hmm, true. Mm-hmm. And also in the moment when we're working on these transitions you know, together, it does feel like a head to head battle because it's hard for us to remember... Another reason why kids have a hard time with transitions, which is sometimes children haven't tuned into your directions. They haven't processed all the information being communicated to them, so they can't act on it for a variety of reasons. They've gotten distracted. Mm. They're simply not listening. They're absorbed in their activity. They just haven't processed it. And in that moment, Blair, how hard is it to remember that? So hard. Because we have our own agendas we have to stick to. We're not paying attention to whether or not our tiny kid has absorbed what we need them to absorb. It totally pertains to this, but I need to sidebar this for a second because this happened to me. So I teach college-aged children, freshmen, they're 17 to 19. And as I'm teaching them and I am raising these two children, there's something that I'm clicked for me literally this week. My mm. kids are in this like great learning phase always, right? It's like the constantly learning but they're also constantly being told what to do, right? And then their battles and their wills and, you know. And then my college students are in this great unlearning because this whole time they've been told what to do and then they come into my class and I'm like, no, do what you do. I want to see how you do it. I want to see it come from you. And they're just like, Blair, <laughs> I have been told what to do my entire life and now I'm being told by every single professor that like, it's up to me, and I don't know what to do. Right. 
And I realized I had this big aha moment where in, like I was telling my son something, I was like telling him to hurry up to put his shoes on or something, but he was so enamored with a um, couch feather that had like flown off the couch. And he was just simply just in his world, right? Just like time meant nothing, it did to me. School meant nothing, it did to me. You know, in that moment. And it was just like, we're slowly like, as we're trying to make them and transition them and help them be like productive humans in society, right? we also take away like their instincts for play and for imagination. And it kills me because now I'm having to re-engage, reignite, and it's very scary because now it's like all the things that happens when you become a teenager and I have to do, you know what I mean? And like all that's a judgment, blah, 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 hormones, yeah, all that stuff, right? Right. But I don't know. I just really had to side by that because it was a huge aha moment for me this week. And it's like in these talking about transitioning and these moments, it's like how do we keep up the agenda, right? How do we do the transition, but also keep them in their little bit of control, having a little bit of that. Autonomy. It's like autonomy. Well, so much about transitions, and I feel like this comes up many of our episodes, which is like, we're not just having them stick to our schedule because we need them to do what we say. We also need to remember that we are growing them as humans. So we are teaching them, just like in other episodes, we are teaching them how to learn, right? We're teaching them how to adapt. Yes. We are teaching them how to be functioning members in society. And it's interesting that you are feeling that with your college students because I remember that. It was a long time ago. But I remember <laughs> that, like, going to college and all of a sudden so much was in my control and it was overwhelming. It Overwhelming. When you go to bed, what you eat at the cafeteria. <laughs> Not that I didn't have, you know, obviously – moments of autonomy, but I was at my parents' house Yeah, until I went to college. You know, most of us are. So it's sort of like, oh my gosh, this tsunami of choices comes at you. And you can see how it can be overwhelming. So what we're trying to do is give our kids the tools early on to learn how to adapt to new situations, to learn flexibility, and also usher, usher them into this, this new world and try to make it be not as much of a tsunami, but know that like you got to move through your day. You got to be able to move through your day. And kids, you're right, like kids do want to have, as we've learned many times, a little bit of control within this structure, within the routines, within the rituals that we are giving them as a gift because the world is coming at them so quickly too. Talk about a tsunami of choices when you're an adult. When you're a kid, it's like, Everything is new. That couch feather is new. New. How, where did it come from? Why is it so light? Where's the bird? Where's the bird? Ugh, that's a whole other story. What kind of bird? Where is the bird? <laughs> yeah, we don't want to talk about that. But yeah, like, can you imagine what a mind blow that would be? Like, pew. so yeah, we're giving them structure so that they can feel calm and safe and taken care of. And within that structure, give them a little bit of control, a little bit of choice which is going to make them feel part of this agenda. You know, sort of like when we were talking about in one of our last episodes, how to make mornings less morning-y, is like show them what's going on and and have them be part of the decisions about what you do. Mm -hmm. While not, you know, being in charge 
as the name of that book said. <laughs> it's so hard. Molly, don't you feel like we're kind of like you and I, our generation is in this like weird conundrum of like real old school ways of doing things versus like new woke school of doing things. And like, like parenting specifically or just in general? I mean, it feels like every damn thing, but like just in parenting, especially, I just feel like talk about transition. I'm in this constant battle of like, oh, wait, this is how my parents did it. This is what I'm used to. But oh, wait, this is how I feel honoring how I feel. Right. Yeah. And how people are really seeing the truth of the world and how things really are. It's a weird little conundrum. It is weird. And I feel like those kinds of conflicting feelings or like those things that are bumping up against each other throughout the day can overwhelm you. Like with my son sitting at the dinner table or whatever, and he says he's done. He says, can I be excused? Which he's only semi good about saying. So when he says it, I'm sort of like, eek. Yeah, okay. But, oh my God, he did it. (laughs) But then I'm like, but he's barely had anything to eat. And I know it's not because he's not hungry. It's because he's distracted because he wants to go play with his new Lego set or he wants to do this or he wants to do that. He wants to go play with the balloon that he just found from his birthday, you know? Mm-hmm. So it is so hard knowing in my head that kids should eat on their schedule, right? They know when they're hungry, they should eat on their schedule. But at the same time, two more bites make so much sense to me in that moment. It makes right. so much sense. I'm like, and I do it. Sometimes I do it and sometimes I don't. But I usually do do it where I say, oh, if you have two more bites of your taco, then you can go. And not mouse bites, mm-hmm. big kid bites, you know? Because he'll be like, nibble, <laughs> nibble, good night. Don't you do Don't it. Don't do it, you're not a mouse. <laughs> but like, I understand what you mean where there are this, the way we were raised in the old school, which is in some ways tried and true as well. So you have to like, in that yeah. moment, decide what tools from your tool belt you're going to use. The new shiny tools, <laughs> you know, the compassion tools, <laughs> you know, the getting into your kid's psyche tools, or if you're going to use one of your old trusty... <laughs> Rusty <laughs> tools. Trusties and rusties. And trusty rusties. Well, the interesting thing, too, about that sort of dichotomy of the old school way of doing things with the newer, more aware way of doing things is, I think, just remembering to take a step back and being able to look at what's actually happening. So, like, another reason why transitions are really hard for kids is because transitions are often associated with separations, such as going to childcare or school, saying goodnight. And that can be emotionally challenging for young children. And I do wonder if transitions, even from playing Legos to having lunch, even though it's not a goodbye, it's not a separation, that feeling inside of their chest of a a little bit of panic, a little bit of resistance feels so similar, right? Yeah. I mean, that's their only gauge, right? Especially if you like think of them like starting from like newborn, you know? Yeah. Just like those little tiny separations, those, you know, yeah, I'm pretty sure it all stems from the same feeling, the same seed, if you will. Yes. Just the other day, my son, he doesn't have separation anxiety, which I always associate with dogs, so it's weird to say that, but he doesn't <laughs> usually have separation anxiety, but the we're currently right now, we're in an, staying in an Airbnb in Brooklyn for work, my husband and I for work, and... It That has been a huge transition. That's a big picture transition. One thing we'll get into during the episode today is, you know, daily transitions and also big picture transitions. So this is a big picture one. And just obviously the energy in New York City is different, even in Brooklyn, which is very neighborhoody. But also he's away from his friends. He doesn't have his school structure. He goes to pre-K. So it's been a big picture transition that has manifested in small transition ways. And the other day, 
for the first time in, you know, over a week, maybe two weeks, I was actually not going to be there for bedtime. And I was leaving and they were, they walked me to almost to the train. They were getting slices of pizza for dinner. And he had one of the biggest meltdowns he's ever had. And he just turned five. Oh, no. Yeah, it was really tough. And it was a cling to you, screaming and wailing and weeping and keening in public kind of meltdown, which is not really his bag. Oh, God, I love those. No, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're great. And they are heart-wrenching because you don't want to see your kid in distress. And the only thing that ended up working, you know, was like literally him not being able to see me. Yeah. So I had done all the compassionate things that I could. I acknowledged his emotions. I reassured him that I'd be back. I'd see him in the morning. This is not a problem that he normally has. He's fine with his dad putting him to bed. But because of where we were, like, I had to take a step back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where am I in life? We are in Brooklyn. We live in Pennsylvania. This is a huge energy shift for him. It was huge. So for me to be able to step back, not only acknowledge his feelings, acknowledge my own feelings about it, which was like a sense of guilt, you know, and feeling terrible that my son is in distress. And I also had to say, he's okay. He's going to be fine. You know what? He was. Guess what? Also, he was hungry, P.S., because we went to the pizza place to get them slices for dinner, because guess what? It was dinner time. Maybe I shouldn't have left right in the middle of, you know, them getting food. (laughs) So when I was able to take a step away, separate myself from the emotions of it, I was able to look at it and say, okay, the circumstances surrounding this hard transition time that he's having right now are extreme. We're in a different place. This is the first time he's not having one of his rocks, his mom there at night for bedtime in a new place. And once I was able to sort of acknowledge that, I said, okay, that was a good thing to be aware of. Once he couldn't see me, he went around the corner with their pizza slices and went home and had something to eat. And I think they even watched Paw Patrol or something that was, although maybe Legos, he loves the Legos cartoons, but something that was like something he had seen before. He needed to go back to routine. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to remember. Even though new experiences is amazing for kids. Also, they have the backbone of routine. Mm-hmm. That's only going to help them in the future. That's only going to help them. Totally. It always goes back to routine, doesn't it? It does. As you were saying this the whole time, I'm thinking, it's, I have so many human moments. And I mean, this is part of the great, this is the beauty of life, y'all. It is the great learn and unlearn that we, like cyclical great learn and unlearn. It's like, I'm just trying to go out with my friends, right? Just go with your father. You know him. Go eat pizza. You know how to do that and go to sleep. Do that. It's like all these things that just make so much sense in the world, right? Yep. And you're just like, I'm just trying to live my life. But then it's like, oh, wait. Uh, Yeah, this is a human being who's still developing. Five years. That's it. He's had one hand of life. Five fingers, that's it. Yes, and they're dealing with obstacles that we don't deal with anymore because we're not five anymore. But we forget that. I forget that. Yes. Just like with my students. Yes. I'm like, you guys know how to, even asking me to go to the bathroom, right? Yes. I'm like, you'll know how to go to the bathroom. And I forget. They don't know how to be adults yet. They don't need a hall pass. I'm like, you don't need a hall pass. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's what they've come from. Yeah. And it's exciting and it's scary for them, you know? It is, all of it. Yep. So now your best tool is that you know this, your knowledge. You're going to bring this to, you know, now you know where they're coming from. You have put yourself into their shoes. And I think that's what we have to do with transitions for our kids too. We have to set us and our kids up for success by getting ahead of it, by saying, transitions are hard. These are tiny humans with undeveloped brains. 
what can we do? We can set up some parameters, set up some guides and rituals and routines that are only going to help us. And when we come back from break, we're going to talk about some of those. Let's do it. We're so smart. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Toddler Purgatory. We are talking about transitions, how hard they are, and what we can do to just make them a little bit easier, like a Sunday morning. Right, Molly? Because I'm easy. Oh, yes, girl. Easy like Sunday morning. (laughs) That was too low. That hurt me a little bit. That actually hurt me and maybe our listeners' ears as well. We don't want to make it that easy. (laughs) Okay, so a few things that I found in my research really goes back to so much of what we talk about on this show. How to make things easier for your kids. The same thing with transitions. Have a set routine. Now, we also know that flexibility is key, right, Blair? Yeah. So have a set routine, but also like, you know, sometimes that has to shift and, and that's okay too. But the best thing you can do for transitions is let your kid know exactly what's gonna happen. And a good way to do that is visual aids. Kids love that stuff. Like a chart? Oh, yeah. Or a list? Yeah. I got to get better at that. But yes, they do. They love visual stuff. They love visual stuff. And it helps you too. A cool thing that I read, Diane Robeson writes on the CBC parenting page. So, you know, it's CBC, so it's Canadian. So, you know, it's going to be kind and compassionate. (laughs) Yeah. They're so much kinder and more compassionate than us. She says, oh, there is flexibility. This is also an opportunity for you to give your kids some control as well. So have the visual aid for the set routine. Also know that your kid can help you set that routine, whether it's in the morning, you can say, okay, let's look at our day. Let's look at our day, right? We're partners on this, we're a team. And then you can set that schedule and pin it up on the wall. For you, listener, it may work better for you to have a set schedule on the wall that you do every day and maybe you're a little flexible or maybe it's a little more general. Maybe it says, you know, independent play, because kids love reading the word independent. Maybe you put something else. (laughs) Playtime, right? Or 
you know, Josie playtime or something so that you know that you can get other stuff done or whatever, 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Maybe that is helpful to you. And then within that. Or just a picture of a ball. Or a picture of a ball, depending on the age of your kid. That's very true. That's very true. (laughs) If independent play is too long for you and your child. But you know what I mean. So it could be, you know, a little looser up on the wall and you within that time period, you know, you change the routine daily or what have you. But they know to depend on something. It gives them a sense of safety. It's parameters that they can feel safe within. So Blair, you were saying you don't do visual aids. How do you normally run it in your household? Get in here! (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Oh, not really. Sometimes we all get to the get in here phase. That's okay. (laughs) I mean, when it comes to changing things up, it's usually like the verbal warning of things. Yeah. For example, when, oh, I mean, sometimes I actually do an okay at parenting. When my five-year-old was transitioning to a big boy bed, I let him pick out his duvet cover, a new duvet cover. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, look, you're going to do this. How do you think? How do you feel? This is what you're going to do. Yeah. And this is what you're going to sleep on. It's like, cool. That's great. So he was excited about that. I do a lot of that. Like, if there's a big transition of some sort coming, like, for example, to when he went to kindergarten, I bought him, like, the kindergarten book, King of Kindergarten by uh, Derek Barnes. Great book. Great book. Get it. You know, just like, I'm more of like a visual aid by things, perforce, you know, warning of the thing that's coming. Well, that's great. That's, you know, on this list of things we can do to help is... Remind them of upcoming transitions. Give them a little warning because they will have an adverse reaction if it's really unexpected, right? But it sounds like you're giving a little bit of warning and you're giving some control. You know, Claire Lerner, the child development specialist that I talked about earlier, her theory is two great choices, which I really love the idea of not just two choices, but two great choices. So if it's time for them to go upstairs and brush their teeth, you can say, hey, you have two great choices. You can either walk up on your own or I can give you a piggyback. So it's not just like you could say you have two choices, but I love the idea of two great choices because so much of what our kids react to is how we say things. Oh, yeah. Like if we're stressed out about something, they're going to hear that in our voice. Oh, yeah. They're going to feel that in our bodies. So two great choices is awesome to me because I feel like that keeps it on the positive side. Well, here's the thing, though. Like you said, is how it's communicated, right? Because I do that. I do the two. I say I'm always like, Okay, you don't want to do that. First, I give him like the little jokey, jokey mom tone. Okay, you don't want to do that. All right, here are your choices. Ready? (laughs) You can either brush your teeth or make me crazy or make me crazy and go to bed with stinky breath (laughs) and get a cavity. You're welcome. Which one? That's what I thought. I know. I know. Sometimes we get to that point. Of course. Of course. Okay, so yes, so that Blair and the rest of us don't have to get to the point where we're like, get in here. What do we do? We have a set routine. We're going to use visual aids. Blair, it sounds like you and I can both up that. Remind them of upcoming transitions so it's not unexpected. So we're, you know, we're trying to let them know that it's coming. You know, one of the suggestions I read, which I don't use, is a countdown clock. Like a clock clock? Yeah, like you can either use an app on your phone. Someone called it like the timey timer or something like that. You can get these fun timers on your phone Or you can just buy a physical clock, you know, an egg timer or whatever to use it. And hey, you have two minutes left. When this dings, I'm going to come back in. You know, that kind of thing. And again, that's just letting them know that this is coming up. This is not unexpected. Another thing that I really loved is they said, get their attention first when you're getting, now you're at the point where they need to transition to the new thing. Get in here! Yeah, that's one way to do it. (laughs) 
Another way is get into their space a little bit, not in an oppressive way, but a big one that was mentioned was touch their shoulder. A lot of parents use that to get their child's attention and also as a cue that you need to focus on what I'm about to say now. Make eye contact. Another cute one that I loved is to get their attention away from what they're doing is clap a rhythm for them to match. So you say, okay, match this. And if this becomes part of what you do and part of your transition and part of a positive way to do it, it just gets more and more stronger. Claire Lerner says, I've seen teachers do that. And I'm always like mesmerized. <gasps> really? Oh, yeah. I don't know where I was, but I think it was like guest professor. Okay. Not really. It was like a guest teacher at like some like elementary school. Yeah. And it was like, the teacher was like, eyes on me. And then the kids were like, yes, we see. Okay, that's great. And then they just like, I was like, oh, that works. I, yeah, if I try that with my two-year-old, she'd be like, go get some water, go sit down. Well, that, it's interesting that you say that because one of them was clap a rhythm for them to match. And the next one is have them repeat after you. So it sounds like that teacher did two of those things. Yeah. yeah and Claire yeah, Lerner, yeah. the child development person, said the more often you use these consistent cues, the more powerful they are. I love that. They did it throughout the day. And then I did it. Because at one point they were getting a little rowdy. And she looked at me. She like gave me that like mom look where she was like, you do it. Give him the one, two, three. Go ahead. Give him the clock. One, two, three. And I I was like, oh, like a charm. Oh, like a charm. Consistency, y'all. It is wild. I can't believe I've never thought that with my children. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I'll report back. Yes. Please do. That'd be awesome. And I think part of that too, like even hearing you say what that teacher did was like fun to hear and also obviously gratifying to hear that it works. Yeah. But that's another thing is like make the transition fun. So for instance, in the CBC article, the woman who wrote it, Diane, she's a piano teacher. She's just one of the things that she teaches. So she uses music as a way to make the transition fun. Mm -hmm. So when you transition, put on a song that they love. Put on something that can also give them some physical, whether with music or just with what you do. Mm -hmm. So you might say, okay, we're going to hop, hop, hop like a bunny, right? Depending on how old your kid is and what grabs their attention. And that might make it fun to leave the Duplo blocks that they're building with and, you know, to put them away and move on to snack or whatever because you're going to get to hop like a bunny. The other day, my son, we were listening to, I made him a playlist on, you know, some app. And when his playlist was over, they just started playing music and songs inspired by that playlist. And a song yeah. came on that I mm -hmm. had never heard mm -hmm. before, but apparently they use in his preschool when they're getting like physical inside time ah. called Dinosaur Stomp by Cuckoo Kangaroo. And it was... So fun. He immediately, his eyes lit up. His face lit up. He jumped up and said, oh, we do this at school. And even though we were just listening to the song, I think they also show them the video where there is a dance for kids. He started marching. He started surfing. He started punching. We did the dinosaur stomp together. Like his whole demeanor lifted. It was so cool. And I think we were even doing Beyblades or something, like something he really liked. And he was able almost immediately to like move away from that because he was so excited about this song. So I think that's a really great lesson about making transitions fun. Like use music, use physicality, sometimes use them both together if you want to, to make sure that it's not something that's bringing them down. Because I don't know about you, Blair, but I so often like have to count. I say, okay, let's go. Let's go. One. Really? You're going to make me get to two? Yes. So now they're moving out of fear. They're transitioning out of fear of repercussions. Here it goes. I know. I hate doing it. I hate doing it, but I don't know how else to move through the day sometimes. But it's also, listen, 
I am always so tired. We're talking about all this stuff and I'm like, I've seen this. I've done it. I did it in this classroom. I've seen it. I know how it works. But sometimes I'm too tired. Yes. Sometimes there's too many transitions in my day. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like hop, hop, hop and like cuckoo kangaroo. <laughs> also, I liked how that just flowed right out of your mouth like you were telling me about a new Ariana Grande song. <laughs> we were listening to Kangaroo Hop by, you know, cuckoo kangaroo. <laughs> you know the one by cuckoo kangaroo. <laughs> Which is so funny because I've never heard of that group before this moment, but now it's like a big part of my life as of two days ago. The final thing that we can do to set up our kids for daily transitions better is, you know, positive reinforcement. Praise them when the transition does go well. I love. I mean, that's just what we have to do in life with so many things with our kids anyway, right? Rather than focusing on the negative effects of their behavior, focus on when they do the right thing, positive reinforcement of that. The whole positive reinforcement thing too, I believe I'm learning now is so key Because if you have someone who is constantly positively reinforcing something, it goes away, right? As we get older, Mm -hmm. that positive reinforcement becomes the voice in our own head, (gasps) right? And you as an adult, now we have to be the ones that are just like, you're doing a good job. You're fine, right? You're tired. It's all good, Blair. You're doing a good job. And that's rare. So I think I'm learning really and truly in this aha moment, that positive reinforcement in a real way and really meaning it like, dude, amazing job. You're so smart. You're always doing the right thing. You know, like, or when you do the right thing, it should make you feel so good. How do you feel in this moment? You know what I mean? It's like just this consistent positivity. Find them in your days to tell your kids until they are no longer in your house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just so you can give them, because I mean, I don't have that. I really like the voice in my head is a negative little Nelly. I don't like her that much. But I feel like if I, I don't know, it starts when you're young. If you have it when you're younger, consistently, routinely, Mm -hmm. then, you know, maybe she won't be negative Nelly. She'd be positive Polly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the interesting thing, too, is... Blair, I think you have such a great point, which is the voice in their ear when they're kids becomes the voice in their head when they're older. That's so true. Yes. Oh, my God. Say that again, Molly. Say it again. It's a good thing to remember. The voice in their ear Mm -hmm. when they're kids becomes the voice in their head when they're older. And we're all human. I do believe that even if you grow up with tons of positive reinforcement, we have the gremlin, right? We have negative Nelly, whatever you call it, in your head. Your self-doubt, your self-pity, you know, questioning your self-worth. But I think you're right. I think that mantras, self-care, yeah, I know that's an overused phrase, but positive self-talk is a major form of self-care. Major. And if we start to build those mantras in our kids young, then they will develop the skills to develop, to create them when they're older. For sure. When we're not around anymore. For sure. For so sure. whatever that is, you got this, for instance, is a short one I just thought of. Because <laughs> so like, like, you got this, you got this, you got this. Mm-hmm. We talked in another episode about 30 seconds of bravery, right? So for the kids who are either danger kids or cautious kids, that episode, one thing is, you know, 30 seconds of bravery. If I'm just brave for 30 seconds to go over and ask that kid, hi, Amali, do you want to play? You know, that kind of thing. Even if they say no, I don't have to be brave anymore. It's only for 30 seconds. So these mantras, these rituals that we create in them are teaching them to be more adaptive, more open, and have more positive self-talk when they're older. Yeah. 
which is, you know, they're not ours to keep, you know, they're ours to give and to mold and to, you know, make this crazy world a better place, as cheesy as that sounds. And, you know, right now things are slightly aflame (laughs) in the world. So it's like... Oh, you mean the world? Oh, literally? Yeah. So it's like that old thing. Ah, yeah, let's give it to them and make the transitions easier for ourselves and for and for them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I was just going to say, we can layer this into our teaching of transitions. So we just talked about things that will help us in our daily transitions. Let's talk about big picture transitions. All the kids who just went back to school after being out of school for a year and a half, after Zoom teaching. Let's talk about changing teachers or classrooms. Let's talk about having to move. I mean, Blair, you grew up moving every few years, so you know exactly yep. what big picture transitions entail. Yeah, and they're not, and listen, there wasn't a whole heck of a routine in it because <laughs> it was always so random. But you know what I will say is that the teachers, shout out to teachers. Forever, yes. Forever. They were always the ones that instilled the routine that I needed, right? And they knew, these Department of Defense teachers Mm -hmm. knew that they were dealing with kids who were constantly on the move, who were constantly transitioning. So it's funny because the one place that I did feel like I had a safety net was at school. Yeah. And I think that's a safety net for a lot of kids. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to talk more about how we can apply those daily transition tools to our big picture transitions. Let me tell you something. Secrets out. It's very similar stuff. (laughs) It's very similar, but you just apply it in a big picture way. We'll be right back. Hey there. I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt 
free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Okay, we're back talking about transitions and how they are difficult for everybody, but particularly for kids with their tiny little brains. <laughs> Boy, they're cute, but they got tiny brains. You know, I used to be in 4-H when I was a kid and uh, mostly horses because I had a couple of horses growing up just, you know, until I was 14 and decided I liked boys and cheerleading better. Oops, secrets out. <laughs> but I learned so much through 4-H. Shout out to 4-H. But one thing I learned about horses. What are the 4-H's? I pledge my head to clearer thinking, my heart to greater loyalty, my hands to greater service. Oh, and so health? I think there's health in there, too. <laughs> I think it's head, heart, hands, and health. Wow. I did not know that. I think so. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to look it up before the end of the pod. Wow. But anyway, so we're talking about big picture transitions. We talked about all the tools that we can use in our daily life to make transitions a little bit easier. We're going to have visual cues. We're going to have set routines. We're going to make transitions fun when we can, when we have the energy, because we're also human, y'all. So we have a bunch of different tools on our tool belt that we can use, whether we're, you know, feeling it that day with the bunny hops or whether we're not. We have other tools that we can use, right? So now big picture transitions, you know, it's similar stuff. The more included our kids feel in these transitions, the better. So this is going back to Claire Lerner, the article on pbs.org. Get as much information as you can. Visit the school. For instance, this is if you're starting a new school. Visit the school. Meet the teachers. Try to meet your classmates. You might already know them from the playground if it's in your community, if they're starting kindergarten, if they're starting whatever. Or, you know, go to, to the school and try and participate in play groups, that kind of thing, before they transition there. If possible, do what you can. Same thing, create a plan. Have a visual calendar. Create a new morning routine. She suggests a really fun thing, which is having a goodbye ritual in the morning that you create before they go back to school because that goodbye can be so hard. It's so tough. Do you remember, Blair, you cried from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. on your son's first day of kindergarten? Yeah, I do. It's still It's in, hard for everybody. In my bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is that goodbye ritual? You know, there's um, a great book called, I think it's called A Kissing Hand for Chester Raccoon. It's so sweet in the mom kisses his hand before he starts school because he's nervous. And he knows that if he feels sad or lonely at school, he can always hold his hand to his cheek. Oh, come on. I mean, because she left a kiss there for him. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's called a kissing hand for Chester Raccoon. Oh, it's cute. So maybe that's it. Of course, this was on PBS.org. So they say, you know, her suggestion is, of course, Daniel Tiger, Ugga Mugga. Maybe you have a special way to say goodbye, something they can look forward to. So that's a goodbye ritual you might create. Really focus on creating that before that first day of school. Maybe you do it for a week before that or something or give them something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. I don't do anything like that. Or if you start a new job or your schedule changes or something happens or like... When Molly had to go and have dinner with her girls. Yes. And little D-Man was having a tough time. Like, if you have something to give them that reassurance. Yeah, that's big. I think a friend of mine on Instagram or something had posted something. Some kid, she made him a bracelet Mm -hmm. that had, like, his... I think they made bracelets for each other. That's sweet. But it was made of, like, an elastic... And he kind of like, when he's feeling anxious, he would just like give it a couple snaps. A snap. Oh, I've heard of that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think it was hers. I think it was like a repost or something. But 
I thought that was really precious. I love that. It's a kissing snap. Yeah, a kiss snap. When you're feeling lonely, snap this thing against your wrist. Just snap yourself. Not too hard. Not too hard. (laughs) But that's great. And I think what you're doing also is you're acknowledging their feelings. So one thing that they say is, you know, labeling, validate their feelings before jumping to reassuring. So I love that too. A suggestion is for something like, I know it is a big change to be going back to school. I totally understand why you're not sure you want to go back. You must be feeling a little scared and sad to be leaving home, huh? So you're saying... I get that you're having these feelings. And that's one thing I need to work on because I tend to jump to reassuring. I just go, yeah. oh, no, you'll be fine. You've done this yes. before. You're fine. You're good. You're fine. We're, everybody's fine. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if I model and dictate that they're fine, then they will be. But if we don't acknowledge those feelings first, they're going to feel not heard and not seen. And they don't know exactly what they're feeling in the moment too, right? Whereas we can like see, we can know like we see like the anxiety coming. So it's like, you're fine. We shut it down before it happens. They're like, oh, I don't know what's happening. Why don't yes. you cool down? Let me feel my feels, ma. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, you know, and that's what they say in this PBS article. Ignoring these feelings doesn't make them go away. Yeah. That's so true. And I think that if I just shut them down and reassure that those feelings will just evaporate. But they don't. Mm-mm. They say if children don't have a healthy way to express their emotions, they're more likely to act out. Ding, ding, ding. Once you name... Emphasis on healthy. Yes. Emphasis on healthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Once you name a big emotion and talk about it, then you can move to problem solving. Mm-hmm. I got to do that more, Blair. Ooh, girl, you and me both, especially after 5 p.m., I have to do that more. Yeah, because I'm tie-tie. Ooh, me too. Yes. I want my space. You're fine. Go somewhere else and deal with it, right? Yes. Oh, I know. Same, same. Oh, I hate being an adult. So then after you validate those feelings, then you can let your child know you believe in them. You got this, right? Give them those mantras. Give them that positive self-talk that they can bring through life. And then the last thing we have to do, y'all, tune into your own feelings about separating from your child so you can also manage those emotions. Yep. It's true. Because if you say, oh, don't worry, mama, we'll be back soon. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're going to be like, oh, now is the time to panic and get upset. But if you say, I can't wait to hear all about your day when I pick you up after nap time. That's different. Mm. Oh, just add it to the list of the things that I need to. We got this. We got this. We got this. Hey, listen, self-talk <laughs> mantra start today. Listen, Molly, like you blew me away with that one. That was a good one. And I will forever. I feel like I need to like live, laugh, love that. Yes, exactly. Well, that's the thing, too, is that, like, we joke about putting live, laugh, love or our mantras on a plaque or crochet it, but, like, do what you got to do to remind yourself to take a step back, right, and keep the big picture in mind, you know? I guess that's the biggest takeaway from this is, like, transitions are hard for everybody. They're especially hard for kids. So use the tools in your tool belt and keep the big picture in mind, which is we are growing these little minds to be people who can make transitions when they're adults, right? Who respect structure, but rely on, you know, being able to say, huh, I'm flexible enough to be able to move on to this next thing. Flexibility. Yes. Thanks for tuning in to Toddler Purgatory. Uh, You can listen to all our episodes on ToddlerPurgatory.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. So make sure you subscribe and listen and like all the things and keep your heads up. Have a beautiful, beautiful week, day, whatever you got. See you next week. Bye, guys.
Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking